At last, a controversial new motion picture that dares to deal with a serious contemporary problem which every man, woman, and child must come to grips with at least once in their lifetime. You don't make them like this anymore. Why don't you go ahead and sit inside? Go ahead. This new upholstery, only 27,000 miles, and we just gave the engine a complete overhaul yesterday. Go ahead, kick her over. Isn't that the quietest engine you've ever heard in your life? Used cars. Rolling off the blocks this summer into a theater near you. Hey, Stan, trust me, huh? <laughs> Happy motoring, Stan. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Hey, come on, trust me. It was the 80s. It was a crazy time. Anything happened. Anything goes. Anything could happen. It's the 1980s. <laughs> Anything goes <laughs> in TV and movies. <laughs> oh, my God. And it starts real early with, with this movie we're going to talk about today. One of the earliest 80s comedies there is. Yeah. Very few exist in the 1980s before this movie. Right. I mean, it came, out, it or not. It came out in July, so there was only six months yeah. of comedies. I don't know how many yeah. that would be. But uh, one very important one, which uh, got in the way of this, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit down the road. Uh, welcome back to Reconcinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak. And this is the podcast where we take a look back at some of your and our favorite films of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we're checking out how they hold up today in 2020. Is that what year it is? Oh, it's 2020. Oof. 2020. I feel, wow. I feel like Already. we've been... Feel like we've been doing this show since 2010. It feels like it, <laughs> but we've only got about 47 more years on our contract. Yeah, so, so we're we're plugging away. We'll be here for a while. Yeah. Uh, what a great year it's been already on the show. We've had some great episodes. We are coming out of our our very special look at the 90s winter wonderland and. And uh, that's that's four films, also, all taking place in the 90s, or not taking place, but all released in the 90s, set in a wintry tundra. Mm-hmm, this is true. And what did we cover? We had Simple Plan, yep. we had Cliffhanger, yep. we had uh, Grumpy Old Men, and Fargo. So That's right. Well, that's that the, is, uh, I was going to say, wait, well, they all take place in the 90s. Nope, Fargo does not. <laughs> it takes Fargo's, no, it's 87. 87? Yeah. yeah. Um, 87 was a magnificent year anyway, by the way. Sure, yeah. That was the year I turned seven. <laughs> That's why. That's the number one reason it was so great. Cut that out. I, I had don't a want really great... <laughs> 1987, I had a really great uh, birthday party yeah. at a place called Gymnastic City. Ooh. And I might have it on video. It's uh, oh, kind of glorious. How have you not forced me to watch that yet? I don't know. Well, <laughs> that might change. That might change. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've sat through some of your movies. Uh, They're fun. The home movies. <laughs> the old home. There's nothing. Yeah, there's there's some good stuff there. There's uh, there's a couple more I got to show you it's, with uh, me thinking uh, a very young me thinking that I was an actor and doing some you know three amigos bits and you know stuff that was popular in the 87 88 era you can act you're an actor you can act it's fine we've seen it it's yeah i think it's it's why well, i go in disguise as other celebrities and that's how i get my acting uh you know craving tended to got it yeah it's just hard when we watch your home videos and you have that three minute theme song that you wrote about john looking back at the old times in the 80s. Yeah. And like, it's really, I, if we didn't have to sit through that every time you show us home movies, I think. Well, it's important can, to have a theme song. Yeah. It's it's quite. It, it's it's kind of like too many cooks a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It really goes on and on and on. And it, it feels like an 80s sitcom intro. Um, it is because I have all, I have like also featuring and then it's like. 75 people i gotta get in there <laughs> exactly well you you had a long and storied life uh, as a kid so yeah there's lots of supporting characters you get the you know someone washing the dishes and turns and looks at the camera and smiles you've got you know another guy like working on the car out in the driveway looks at the, ca- the camera and smiles you know yeah of course that kind of thing going on yeah like you all do like we all do yeah in our regular lives we pause and look yeah at the that's camera. what Totally. Doesn't every like Monday morning, don't you just run that through in your head? <laughs> a little bit. Like, this is who's going to be on my show this week. Yeah. with The show of my life. <laughs> with a curly golden font showing your name and their name <laughs> underneath. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, uh, yeah. It all, it all goes back to the Hogan family, doesn't it? It does. The, the original. Yeah. The original Hogan. Every... <laughs> Everything connects to the Hogan family, yeah. one way or another. We'll we'll prove it over time here. I'm sure we can connect Hogan um, family to Kurt Russell one day. Let's do that. I'm I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could. But that's that again. Let's talk about why we're here. Okay. We we wanted to get ahead of everybody. Okay. Yes. We wanted to be the very first ones to wish a an extremely the most happiest of birthdays to our dear personal longtime friend. Kurt Russell. Yes. Uh, he's got a big birthday coming up, and we wanted to be first in line to say, Happy birthday, sir. Happy birthday to you, Mr. Kurt Russell. 69. Did you want to sing young. to him? Me? No. Did I, you want to? No, no, it's fine. He's a better singer than I am. Um, I'm not yeah. going to, you know, I don't want to ruin things by just giving my, no, my gold. Don't rain voice. on his parade. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's March, it's Kurt's birthday month. We're gonna celebrate it. Uh, you know, we live every day in the in the idea of what would Kurt do, um, what would Kurt say uh, in every situation, and uh, we're gonna take a look back at what his his very first like adult kind of um, big movie. Uh, yeah, I th- breaking I away would... from his youthful uh, movies uh, of yore in the seventies. 60s? Yeah, exactly. I thought uh, it would be good to, you know, in in year one, we covered Escape from New York, which was certainly, as an adult, his first kind of major movie and one that would really um, have a long shelf life and still holds up well today. Uh, then last year, we took took a look at uh, Tango and Cash, yeah, which was a super fun movie and a very fun episode. So Absolutely. Uh, why not go back to the beginning 
And uh, yeah, Elvis was technically his first kind yeah. of adult movie, but that was a that was a TV movie, and we're not uh, we're not looking at that one today. We're gonna look at 1980s used cars, Hell directed yes. by the amazing Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis, first time on the show, I think, for Zemeckis, right? Uh, yeah, uh, of probably what will be many. Many episodes with Zemeckis. I think, so I think. I mean, I definitely want to cover *Romancing the Stone*. Yeah, we should probably. Co- I mean, *Back to the Future* goes without saying. Yeah. Um, we should probably cover Forrest Gump at some point because I have I have some feelings about that. You have things to say about the Gump. Yeah, yeah. I uh, not wild about it anymore. You are a terrible human being. It's Forrest Gump and it's Tom <laughs> Hanks. You, you so should, you have to love it. It is beloved and will always be. <laughs> well, we'll find out when we get to that. Let's but, find uh, out. <laughs> so yeah, when do you got? Do you have any? What what do you remember about used cars? Oh was me, it, was it a movie that was kind of like present in your life at all? What was the first time you you remember hearing about it? I think I heard about it. I think I honestly like twenty years ago. Like I was like. I didn't. I had no awareness of this one because it wasn't. I don't think this was one of those things that ever reached a cult status or anything of that nature. You know, this is sort of a for for me who's not paying attention to a lot of things most days. Uh, <laughs> this was one of the things that never kind of bubbled up in the in the periphery. So yeah, I mean, I remember he, I having an awareness that he was in a movie called Used Cars, um, and then you know as our love of Kurt continued to connect us as uh friends and podcast co-hosts um it 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 became something that rose to the top of the list like i gotta see this next i gotta see this next and i have not i didn't see it until very recently to prepare for this very special kurt uh birthday episode Mm. interesting that's me yeah so i mean used cars was always a thing i or something I've, I was aware of for, you know, 20 years. But this movie's 40 years old at this point now. Uh, oh, what about, let's not say that out loud. Yikes. How can it How can it be 40 years old when Kurt is only like 29? He's always 29 in my mind. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What about What about you? Where are you with the awareness of uh, used cars? And he was 29 when I this was, movie came out. <laughs> I know. That's crazy. That's funny you said that. Um, I was always aware of it. I actually never saw it all the way through. I, I remember seeing, you know, just pieces of it. I feel like it would, I, I want to say it ran on Comedy Central, like in the like late 90s. They, they were running it for a while. Oh, I could Obviously see a very edited version of it. Yeah. Um, but I, I never saw it all the way through until, looking at my watch here, uh, this weekend. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, I'm trying to. I'd like to get through a lot of the Kurt movies that we haven't, you know, that I haven't seen all the way through or mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, you know, while while we're doing this show, yeah. gosh darn it. Yeah, this is another um, entry in the the Kurtz the Kurtz that shaped us. Maybe like the. Yeah, and it, it it this always the movies always uh, this movie's always intrigued me because it's you know I early Kurt kind of wanted to see what was you know, his acting style back then. And, and it's one of the early Robert Zemeckis movies, yeah. uh, which, you know, pre romancing the stone and back to the future was kind of a different kind of filmmaker. He wouldn't be his first starting. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so let's talk about let's talk about Kurt. Let's talk about Zemeckis kind of separately, like their backgrounds, and then we'll kind of get into the meat of of uh, what this movie is and how does it <laughs> how does it hold up in 2020, David? How does it? <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. <laughs> let's, we'll talk about it. So uh, Kurt Russell, Kurt was born into a uh, Hollywood family. His dad was uh, Bing Russell, who was uh, an actor, actually a baseball player and an actor who had a very successful career. A lot of Westerns, I believe. Um, Kurt started acting at a as a really young kid and was signed to a 10-year contract with Disney that went uh, from like the mid-60s to the mid 70s so Mm -hmm. kurt russell is no newcomer to the business he's worked he's worked a very long time by the time we're by by the time this movie comes out right child star yeah i mean yeah and churning out it's not like he did like one thing like he was in these tv shows and these these disney movies and all this all this stuff just constantly working yeah he's like you would call him a grizzled veteran by the time this movie comes out. Yeah. I and mean, he's still got, you know, his baby cheeks, you know? I'll say. Uh, you're right. He, I mean, uh, he, he's basically the Samuel L. Jackson before Samuel L. Jackson. You know, in everything, <laughs> all the time. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, um, yeah, some of the stuff he was in, he, he bounced from TV to, you know, he would do the Disney features, but a lot of TV as well. Uh, it happened at the World's Fair. The uh, Travels of Jamie McFeeders. Now that is a mm. that's a title. Yeah, that uh, that name just rolls right off the tongue. Uh, um, the yes. first <laughs> the first time <clears throat> the first time I remember seeing Kurt was actually on uh, my Betamax uh, tapes. Mm-hmm. I had a Disney movie called The One and Only Genuine Original Family Band, oh. which starred. Uh, well, Kurt was in a huge cast. Um, John Davidson, I remember, was in it. But uh, Kurt was not his youngest. I think he was, you know, more in the like twelve years old kind of range. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I saw that around the same time as Big Trouble in Little China came out. So that was <laughs> like, oh, that's the same guy. Look at that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think for me, I actually, I, I probably saw him on a Gilligan's Island rerun and like later saw like a TV special about Gilligan's Island or something. And they're like, and young Kurt Russell was da 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 da. I'm like, Oh, I remember that. And I kind of pieced it together. Like, like I knew who Kurt Russell was by the time I saw this like retrospective on Gilligan's Island or whatever. But, and I, but I remember Mm -hmm. this episode where they meet like a kid who was in the jungle or something like that. And it was Kurt Russell as like, you know, a teen or whatever. Um, so I rem- like I remember two set. I knew two separate things, and I was like, "But by the way, that was Kurt Russell." I was like, "Oh, Kurt Russell! I already knew him." Uh, yeah, you know, from whatever whatever it was, probably I don't even know, probably from Big Trouble, um, or yeah, around that time. I yeah. mean, I th- it had to have been that. Yeah, yeah, because Escape from New York w- wouldn't have been on our or the thing wouldn't have been on our radar at that age. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember what else, like Silkwood, we wouldn't have seen. Like yeah. Big Trouble was the right movie at that age for us. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, and like the pro- probably the first time like understanding like who he was. Like Big Trouble in Little China is like my first Kurt Russell movie. Um, for yeah, sure. me too. Yeah, and then 
There were so many more to come. Oh, my God. So much brilliance after that. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, and he did the, what, the computer wore tennis shoes. And, and what was the trilogy? Uh, that Wasn't there a trilogy of a character that he did? There was the same character in all three. Yeah, because it was the computer wore tennis shoes. And then it was the... Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. I know this. I know this. Uh, no, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a trilogy of that that same character. So yeah, uh, but those were fun movies. But um, he actually, in sort of following his dad's footsteps, he wanted to quit the acting business and get into baseball. Yeah. So he leaves showbiz behind in the early '70s, and in 1973, he's. Uh, and playing minor league ball for the California Angels and, and quite a good prospect at the time and ends up getting into a uh, collision and tore his right shoulder up. Hmm. And uh, that led to his retirement from baseball, mm-hmm. which I wonder if like that had not happened, I don't think he would have gone back to acting and, and probably would have been a big baseball star. It's, uh, it's, it's, he was the new, he was our generation. He was our generations. They're that generation's Gene Kelly, really. Gene Kelly, I think, had a similar kind of story where he was a, a great ball player, had a big injury, and then became a you know dancer actor and, and yeah. blew up Hollywood with his uh, skill set. So uh, I bet Kurt could outdance Gene Kelly, though. I think we all know that. <laughs> oh my God! I mean, Kurt can do anything. We know this. Yeah, uh, we have a deep love for Kurt, so, uh, so we we have the ultimate confidence in him. I mean, this is why we have that picture of Gene Kelly up, and we throw the finger at him every time we pass it because mm-hmm. he will never hold a candle to Kurt Russell. Never. Yeah. So that that's what we do here <laughs> at the studio. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so so Kurt, you know, gets back into the acting business, and I think really wants to shed that child star that whole side of his career out of the picture and uh prove that he is more than that and can take his career to the next level Mm -hmm. so he does the tv movie elvis directed by john carpenter which was a an incredible pairing there that would last for decades Mm -hmm. and have both of their best work or some of their best work was together so yeah um and then right following that, it ended up, I think Zemeckis and Bob Gale ended up visiting him on the set and really, um, you know, were interested in him for this role. Uh, although he wasn't the first person they were interested in for the, for the, uh, what? yeah, for the, for the lead role. But, um, yeah, they ended up hitting it off and, uh, and eventually he signed on for this movie. But, so that's kind of like. Kurt's path to used cars. Um, Zemeckis was a little bit, Robert Zemeckis was a little bit different. Not a baseball star. That didn't factor into his, uh, sure. His career. He was not a baseball uh, athlete. Sure. <laughs> uh, he was a uh, student at Northern Illinois university and then was, uh, doing some editing work for the NBC news in Chicago at the same time. He ends up transferring to USC. Uh, but, you know, this is USC in like the late 70s. So, you know, Coppola and George Lucas had already kind of passed through there and, and 
were gone and and were obviously like the biggest directors of that decade um but zemeckis was not like the typical usc student he was not interested in sort of independent filmmaking and um you know the kinds of movies that was in new hollywood in the 70s like he was much more straightforward kind of storyteller like he really just wanted to do traditional american filmmaking like disney movies and James Bond movies, Clint Eastwood kind of stuff, like nothing to that you really had to sit there and get your brain really actively involved and challenge your thoughts and feelings. Like he was just more of it for in it for the entertainment value. Yeah, you want to entertain audiences, uh, something a little more uh, you know, mass mass consumable uh, or, or whatever, say, you know, safe for the masses. Um, and I think there's a value to that. So yeah, I mean, and I think and. I think we can both agree like he's very effective in that, at least for a, a long portion of his career. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Like there's nothing wrong with it at all. I mean, it, it's as long as you're, you know, a good storyteller, it's okay to do those movies. I mean, yeah. you know, like I've said before, movies like wanted can just go to hell. No, but, um, no, nope. you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, he's shown like so many times that he he's a very effective storyteller at that. Yeah. Um, you know, Back to the Future is I would say arguably his his greatest film. Mm-hmm. Would you Would you agree to that? You know, it's yeah. I mean, it's it's probably the best. I mean, and then Roger Rabbit is what like just one or two degrees below that. I think maybe like in terms of yeah. sheer entertainment value. Yeah. I feel like. I don't know. I mean, Roger yes. Rabbit's a totally different vehicle, um, thing, but um, as well as um, like Romancing the Stone, very entertaining. Probably yeah, not the. the I, lo- I love that movie. It's great. Uh, I haven't seen oh, it in years yeah. either. But you know, uh, yeah. I mean, Back to the Future is probably the hit. His number one uh, for me. Um, but I'll watch Roger Rabbit any day. Like I love that movie. That's well, great. and he's done. He's had a, a ton of great movies over the years. Sure. It's I, I feel like lately it's been more hit and miss. I mean, yeah. you know, didn't he do that Beowulf movie that was kind of a not so great? And uh, I just <laughs> watched Polar Express. Yeah, not loving that movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I I haven't seen all of Polar Express. You know, he he's been in. He's been more into a different. You know, version of storytelling like these, uh, the CGI ish kind of un- yeah. un- uh, breaking the uncanny valley kind of VR CGI character kind of things. And um, yeah, I think was Beowulf the first of that, I think. Pro- or no, Polar Express and Beowulf were like, no, Polar one Express after the other, was, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think for experimental filmmaking and all that and like bringing in a huge budget, I think that's kind of a fun idea, but it's something like that he continues to do with like, then he did what was that? Um, Welcome to Marwin, I think, was the Steve Carell one, where again, sort of yes, like inhabiting a fiction, like a um, a, f- a, fic- a universe, like a fictional universe, universe or, thing, or an animated universe, animated, you know? yeah, like where Steve Carell's character is like an action figure, or uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's certainly a look. <laughs> um, yeah, well, now he's doing Pinocchio. Yeah. Uh, a live action Pinocchio. Well, why not? Didn't they just do a Pinocchio live a- like kind of CGI live action? Yeah, like not I'm too good. Long? I'm I I got my Pinocchio fill as a kid, so uh, I'm good. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've actually actively read or uh, seen Pinocchio uh, in 30 years. Uh, yeah. And I remember being very, uh, I don't know, frightened by the Disney cartoon of it. So I'm done. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not doing totally. that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's got some other. He's got some great ones in there. Castaway is great. Uh, what yeah. lies beneath? Yeah. Uh, flight plan. I really liked. Uh, he did flight, not flight plan. Not flight plan. Flight. flight. The Denzel one. The Denzel yeah. one, where he flips the plane. Wait, which which is flight plan? That's uh, Jodie Foster. That that's Jodie Foster. Oh yeah. <laughs> where her daughter goes missing on a on a plane, and no one seems to know why. Yeah. But Scar. Like she never existed. But what's his name? Scarsgard. Sarsgard was in it. Who's that young? Sarsgard, Scars, Scars, Scarsgard, Scarsgard, Sarsgard. Sarsgard. You ever see that on SNL? Yeah. (laughs) But that's a different Sarsgard. That's a Mm -hmm. right. That's Peter Sarsgard. Peter Sarsgard. That's right. Yeah, that's good shit. Um, Well, there's a whole bunch of them now. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, Uh, there's there's SARS guards and scars guards all over Hollywood, and it's it's hard to keep track. Uh, But yeah, flight was good. (laughs) You know, at the time, I think we could all say that uh, Forrest Gump was highly enjoyable, and I really liked Death Becomes Her with uh, with that cast. We got Meryl, we got Willis, we've got Han, we've got wasn't there one other person? Yeah, that? clearly he's still you know, floating around the Kurt Russell family. Yeah, so. exactly. So big fan of that. Good stuff. So Zemeckis, um, he does he does great stuff. He touches good things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good track record. I think he's. I looked it up. He's like box office wise, he's like the number eight director, yeah, American filmmaker. Jesus, really? Number eight? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. So even today, uh, his hits, his hits are like massive hits. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, didn't Polar Express do like massive numbers? Yeah, I think so. I think everyone saw yeah. that one. Yeah, that was a big, that was a big, big hit. I mean, people hadn't seen anything like that before. Plus, it was Tom Hanks yeah. as a cartoon. Like, yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> as as multiple cartoons. Well, obviously, the Hanks and Zemeckis team uh, works works well. Yeah. So. For like, I mean, well, let's see. I mean, world. It was 187 million at the time. But that was 2004. I mean, that's that's still big numbers. That's, that's pretty good. That's yeah. all right, you know. That's all right. That's that's good stuff. But yeah. So uh, back at USC, though, he he ends up meeting Bob Gale, and they kind of form a partnership that lasted a really long time. I don't know. I I'm not sure if they're still doing stuff together, but they're definitely still friends, and and I know like still kind of connect with Back to the Future stuff, and and you know some other projects, but. Um, they met there. He ends up winning a uh, Student Academy Award, which puts him on Steven Spielberg's radar. And uh, that's mm. probably not a bad place to be, especially at this time period. Yeah, in, in the seven, late 70s? In the 70s? Yeah. yeah. So he's now, <clears throat> excuse me, now has kind of direct access to Spielberg and John Milius and all Spielberg's kind of you know, all the directors who are also working with him and friends with him. Um, He ends up directing his first movie is a movie called, I want to hold your hand, which is about the the crazy fandom of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, He and Bob Gale write 1941, Mm -hmm. which 
What are your, what are your thoughts on that movie? You know, it's been a it's been a minute. I remember liking a lot of like all the, everyone in it's fantastic. Like, you know, like all these comedic stars that I really adore. Um, but I haven't really sat down and watched that in a long, long time. So uh, yeah, uh, I don't really have a I don't, a solid opinion or at least a, a good informed opinion that I can say today. Well, it's famous. It's famous for being a, a huge misfire, yeah. and and it's the like one kind of blip on the or bump in the road on on Spielberg's early part of his career, and he had taken over, you know, Hollywood so strongly with uh, Jaws and Close Encounters, and and he's like the talk of the town, and people are getting a lot of the old school kind of people were hoping that 1941 was going to be the disaster that really like kind of got rid of Spielberg. Wow. Clear, clearly it did. We never heard from him again. Yeah. That uh, was it. So the people rooting against Spielberg were happy with 1941. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. There was a lot of people who were hoping like it was going to be even worse for him, but you know, I, I think he turned it around with Raiders. Would you say, uh, like this Scorsese of that time period was was rooting against Spielberg, making these popcorn. No, flicks. I don't think it was them. I I think it was more studio people. Oh, okay. Not, uh, not the other directors. Not other directors. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because they were all friends. It was Scorsese and and Coppola, Lucas, and Brian De Palma, and yeah. John Milius, and like they're all pals. So sure, sure. I don't um, mean actually Scorsese, but like you know some some filmmaker, <laughs> a film. Oh, I'm sure. A yeah, filmmaker, like, someone wanted. You know how many people wanted that spot? Yeah, yeah. They only wish they could be that but, guy. Come on. Yeah, right. But Zemeckis and Gale wrote 1941, so a lot of that kind of fell back on them. Yeah. Um. So between I want to hold your hand being just you know a, a small small production, so uh, nothing really major came out of that, and then 1941 being a disaster, and then. Uh, that sort of brings us to used cars. Mm-hmm. Um, they had actually written this script. I think they wrote this script before they wrote 1941. They had uh, John Milius and Spielberg had had talked about wanting to make a movie about used car salesmen, and you know, kind of a quirky comedy. So uh, Zemeckis ended up writing it. They pitched it at Universal, who passed on it. Uh, Columbia Pictures ended up. Uh, taking the or making the deal for it uh, the head of that studio at the time was Frank Price who said yes mostly because he used to be a used car salesman so he knew that world very well and I think he kind of got a kick out of it sure and the word on the street was like the the screenplays for 1941 and for used cars were like hilarious and and kind of brilliant as a, on a script level but as we'll get into, that doesn't always mean it's going to translate on the screen. Yeah. Uh, Frank Price is, is kind of an important uh, studio executive because he's he was, if, if you watch that, uh, the Movies That Made Us documentary on Netflix, like they get into a lot of his involvement with Ghostbusters and how uh, that you know, movie that getting, they, they had, they had a lot to uh, thank Frank price for, for getting that movie made. Yeah. That and, uh, Die Hard, I think actually he's like, he had a direct hand in 
those things being successful and being green. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, among yeah. other things, but actually specifically for his like change over from Paramount to Columbia, I think. Right. Or something like that. Or, wasn't it? or Columbia to Columbia to Fox. I think. Oh, Columbia, or Columbia to, to Paramount. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Frank Price but, is, is the linchpin to, to so many success, successful eighties films. Uh, before, yeah, before and, and after his like you know change, but yeah, you know people people kind of get down on the studio uh, you know world and and the executives who who greenlight these projects, but there there are there have been and there still are ex- certain executives who really do have a great eye for creative and um, can get behind uh, what's what you know is is. Uh, you know, get behind some of these directors and, and writers who are, who they really see talent in. Yeah. So Frank Price is one of those guys. Yeah, I said Die Hard, and I think I misspoke. I think I really did mean... Um, Home Alone? Back no. to, Home Alone. Back, yes, Home Alone. Yeah. Sorry. Why did I say that? Yeah. Home Alone. Yeah. Um, so the movie is shot... Uh, so the movie's greenlit, and it gets shot in Mesa, Arizona, uh, in, uh, I believe, November of 1979. Hmm. October, November 1979. Uh, they shot it at a uh, Darner Chrysler dealership, which was at much like the, uh, what, much like the what, what you see on screen. The real dealership was on one side of the street and sort of an old... Uh, you know, rundown version was across the street for used cars. Huh. That's perfect. It was all set up. The infrastructure is there. Yeah. Uh, and while they're filming, Kurt Russell actually ends up doing some commercial spots for that dealership. So I think that was part of the uh, deal they made with him. Yeah, I would say I would figure like having film crews there for a month or two is kind of disruptive to the highway and the the, the dealerships themselves. Yeah, a little bit. So you know, put put a little uh, little quid pro quo here, like you know, help me out with my yeah. business. You're 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 screwing it up. Starting some commercials. <laughs> Come on, I need. And this movie, so you know, this is another one of those movies that was, you know, shot outside of L.A. And, and this movie is just kind of bananas. This movie is is insane. And a lot of this stuff is like you can see it. It's what they're doing is some wild and crazy stuff, and it's out of the uh, studio's you know neighborhood. So you can kind of get away with doing a little more when you're out on the road. Yeah, because they don't they don't know they're not going to see those dailies for a few days. <laughs> like it's not going to. Well, and by the time they do, you'll have shot it. Yeah. So and then you've already moved on. You spent the money for those days. I mean. Yeah, you get a little yeah. you get a little bit of a leash there, unless the studio sends someone out <laughs> to like monitor everything, uh, which they probably weren't doing on this little thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is uh, this is <laughs> this is. I mean, this is a raunchy. This is raunchy. The movie's raunchy. Like, let's 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 plug it in, right? It's it's a spiritual brother to all those other eighties. Uh, things like a Revenge of the Nerds or even Animal yeah, House, really. Yeah. Um, oh but yeah, like a Porky's or Caddyshack or a little Stripes, Stripes, yeah, yeah, totally. Bachelor Party, uh, you know these. This, but this is probably less fondly remembered. Obviously, like again, like I said, I don't think this is something that people talk about or 
it's not really cultish. Uh, it doesn't have that following. It does it, I think, probably because it doesn't go far enough <laughs> that uh, it's, it's remembered differently. I mean, I know it was a box office flop. No one really saw it in theaters, which we'll talk about in the box office segment of our show. But um, I don't know. There, I feel like it, it's the movie's kind of long. You know, it's it's almost two hours and. Um, there's a lot of storylines going on throughout the whole thing, and then it manages to throw in a lot of the silly raunchiness. Um, and it's almost like there's just so much going on in this film. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just just quickly, it is about a used car dealership uh, led by, uh, yeah, Rudy, oh God, Rudy Russo, played mm-hmm. by Kurt Russell, yeah. who is... Trying to get this used car dealership more on its feet, start making some money so he can segue to becoming a senator. Yeah. Long story short, that's what it is, while competing with the big-time dealership across the street. Yeah. Uh, yeah, raunchy for sure. This movie definitely embraces all of those other movies that you mentioned. Um, but this one, there's something about it that it doesn't, you know, like those other movies stay on this side of the line, you know, and this movie kind of jumps know. over that line. And there's something about it that isn't um, that I people you can't connect with it as well as you could with all of those other movies. I think. Um, there's something about those that they, they have a much longer shelf life. They're much more, re, you know, easy to rewatch. Uh, this one is a lot harder, and it's a little bit hard to pinpoint why, but I think the length has something to do with it. It's it's a long hour and 52 minutes. Yeah, I think – well, I think you're right. Like, there's um, – I think the key to it is, like, when it comes to this, like, if you're going to go raunchy, you're going to go comedy, you really have to make it simple. And, like I said, it's it's kind of like there's – the rivalry between the two dealerships and then Rudy's own aspirations and then the daughter and the deceit and the dead and the dead guy and this and that. There's so much yeah. going on. It's kind of like hard to track with. So not that it's hard to track like so that you're not going to figure out what's going on, but there's a lot to remember. And uh, it's so it, it leaves it less time to be silly and zany and there's plenty of silliness and lots of things i laughed at about this there's a lot of things that i was laughing out loud mm-hmm. like i think that's funny yeah totally works on a comedic level uh at certain points but i think the other part is it's um the um i don't know the raunchiness is like uh uh like yeah never mind i seriously no, I, ser- I hear what you're saying we're gonna get we're gonna get to the raunchy stuff it's not even that big... it's not even that i mean there's i think part of it is the um what do you call it oh, what uh, what was your what was my point oh i had it i had it when you were saying it and i wanted to build into that point um no. well we we're talking about you know it, it being not something not as likable you know likable and and oh as right. those other movies yeah because I, I i think a lot of that other stuff with that raunch factor, which is sort of ancillary. It's a lot about those other movies are about like underdogs, like uh, trying to achieve something in the face of like an oppression. Whereas this underdog story is like, it's one sleazy car salesman 
versus a much more successful sleazy car salesman. That's the basic yeah. thing. And it's like, you can't really root for everybody, you know, like the idea well, that like, they're all kind of bad guys. Yeah. Know, a little bit. I think that if you really look at it, like, you know, Rudy, uh, Kurt Russell's character, he wants to make enough money so he could be, so he can buy a, a slot and a nomination for an election. He wants to become a state Senator. So, and he's perfect for mm-hmm. that. Cause he's a sleazy car salesman. So it's like, and there's sort of a, a, a thought of like, politicians are corrupt you know they the movie is very overt about like yeah jimmy carter is is a terrible president and like he sucks and, yeah. and everyone's corrupt and like so when you're starting from a place of like yeah Kurt, rudy is kind of a bad dude in the sense of like he only looks out for himself and doesn't care about anything you know uh, and he only cares about himself and then that's all we're hoping for it doesn't really work he's not even he's not even fighting some oppression or, or bigger force. He's just fighting someone that's right. way more successful than him. And it's like, you can't, yeah. relate. you can't relate to it. Yeah. And, and let me just preface all of this, you know, especially since we're honoring his birthday, I do think Kurt Russell's performance in it is really great. Oh, like, I, I think he's like, he's all in, he's charming. Um, so I don't think a lot of, and, and in a way, like, I felt like watching it like he is just a step removed from the raunchiest of things. It's like he's not personally doing, you know, some of the raunchiest stuff. But, you know, obviously it's the movie itself. And and I think it's it's the and this is no offense to the rest of the cast, because some of them are great actors who I like a lot. But in this particular movie, I don't know if there was it was the right some of the right casting choices. It's they're not as memorable faces they're not like in stripes you've got bill as the super charming lead uh but you've also got harold ramis and john candy who are you know good other actors you can kind of latch on to i wouldn't say that garrett graham or frank mccray uh no disrespect ever would get to that level you know well yeah but i mean you don't I think I think you, looking back on it, you like you don't you recognize them for who they are, but they're not like huge comedic tour de forces. But um, mm-hmm. Garrett Graham was given a lot to do in this movie, and actually, I think mostly yeah. succeeds. I mean, I, I think he was really like solid, like I, as an actor in it. I don't know, like the, the the main cast all gets a lot to do and have some fun. Um, but I mean, not everyone's written necessarily as like comedic or as charming. As they can be, they kind of are like yeah. one note uh, for the most part. Kurt's the one with like a little more depth and everything. And yes, I agree with you. Like his performance is fantastic. I I still root for him, you know. Uh, whereas on paper, you know, his character's like pretty terrible. Like I said, but I, you know, he's really charming to watch. Everyone in it, you're rooting for these these guys. Um, to succeed, but even though they're doing some of the worst shit you could do, like it's just mm-hmm. the, the amount of like uh, deceit and property damage and felonies that oh, they're committing, yeah. it's it's kind of over, yeah. it's over the top with like, and you're just sort of like, how would they actually pull this off? This is ridiculous. This wouldn't, they're not going to be okay after this. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Well, Zemeckis would would call this, you know, he, he refers to this movie as being Capra esque, except everybody's a liar. <laughs> right. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, and, and Rudy Russo is like a corrupt Jimmy Stewart from uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that. I mean, watching Kurt doing the salesman shtick, he was so fantastic in that. Like the movie. Yeah, the speed talking and yeah. And, and it's just so charming and and like if you're you're just you just fall into it like you're you're, you're drawn into it. He knows how to just like say all the right things. I mean, it's he's well it's well written for that kind of guy, you know, and he knows how to play that guy. Uh, so it's a lot of fun watching him work and work these customers, and it's it's so absurd when you're just sort of watching, but yeah, it, it was so works like in the moment, it's so much fun. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it, but I wonder though, just circling back for a second. Yeah, I wonder if. Bill Murray were cast in this movie instead of Kurt. If you know the trajectory for this movie would have been any different, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't think I don't think Bill was right for this part. I don't think I think I think be- oh, I disagree. I think Bill would have been perfect for it. I don't know. Does can Bill play a complete sleaze? Like the thing is, there's nothing redeemable about Rudy, even up to the very end. I don't think. Like, I mean, he does, he does the. Well, that's not the, totally true. Well, I mean, I guess you know, once he figures out the whole shtick, the whole thing, and then like runs off to go save everything. Like, I get it, but like, I don't know. I no, I don't. I listen. I love Bill Murray, but I don't. I don't see him as Rudy. Like, I, I would be a very different Rudy. I think. Uh, well, yeah. I think it also see. Here's the thing: is that like Kurt works as Rudy. I do think Bill would have worked as Rudy too, but I think it would depend on who that sub- surrounding cast is. Uh, you know, John Candy was originally supposed to be in this movie. Uh, that would have been, I think, that would have been sort of a game changer for it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, he was. He yeah. I, he was. I, I assumed he was going to be the Frank McRae role. Um, but he was actually supposed to be the the role that Joe Flaherty plays. So, and I think that's why Flaherty got that role is because Candy had to back out because of a scheduling conflict. So he got his SCTV buddy to uh, replace him. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. This movie still has a lot of great. It's an amazing cast. I mean, if you think about who's in it, sure. um, yeah, they're not powerhouses like TV star, movie star guy qualities. Uh, that we were used to with the Candies and the Bill Murrays of it all, but you know Jack Warden just playing both Fuchs roles and um, yeah, and this is his first R-rated movie ever. Really, <laughs> he's so, he's he so was good. super into like cursing and you know getting a little crazier. Well, like and even and watching it for the first time, I was like, wait, is that? I thought they, I honestly for like because they show one character, they show Luke Fuchs and then they show Roy. As mm-hmm. you know, separately, they're never on screen together because it's the same. You know, he's doing right. both roles. But I'm like, wait, is that that guy's a lot like him? And I, I honestly, for the first, I don't know, from this when they introduced the second character, I was like, huh, that guy looks a lot like him. That's crazy. But he does such a good job as both characters, sort of the uh, the run down and you know, poor health guy, and then playing the sleazy. Uh, manipulative guy and they're very different in terms of just how they how he carries them um and look and the the ma- it came down to costumes the makeup and hair and great. makeup like wow yeah. like just what a difference and uh you know jack warden for me he was always he was always the tv uh bad news bears uh butter maker for me that was the first 
<laughs> I think my first awareness of Jack Warden was him as Buttermaker when I was watching yeah. Bad News Bears the the series. Um, but I remember him from Great Muppet Caper and all that. Like he was a mm-hmm. uh, big fan of his. Um, I think he showed up in Jack the- Warden was really great. I I, yeah. I I really enjoyed him. Yeah, and then like you have other like comedic powerhouses like Joe Flaherty. And from SETV, I mean, God, he's he's one of the greats. Like, he's fantastic. Um, you, totally under underrated, uh, you know, comic actor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, like, it's funny, though, because it's like Michael McKeon's in this with David Lander. Like, Lenny and Squiggy are in yeah. this movie. And they, they you feel like they should have even bigger roles. Like, that's the thing. This movie's so, like, layered with... They're in like the first hour and change for the bunch of stuff, and then you don't see them again, you know. And but they're they're funny, like I don't know, they're 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 there. Uh, well, I mean, I don't think McKeon really, other than you know, planting, you know, or like hack being a hacker, like uh, he didn't really do much in it. No, 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 he didn't have like funny lines or whatever. But like even like <laughs> like as a duo, what was uh, um, Lander? Uh, he he puts a pacemaker in Mc, McKeon's chest or something. Yeah. He has these wires <laughs> yeah. coming out. Like th- this movie yeah. hits so many absurd like beats. And like, if I could put a pacemaker in this guy, you know, I can like hack the, the Washington DC broadcast. And it's so crazy. Well, yeah. And it almost does it. I mean, it, there's so many like zany moments that, that are like that, that don't like reflect reality in any way that makes sense, you know, but, uh, yeah, z- z- the, it definitely is one of those '80s zany movies that uh, all of them are like kind of rolling the dice. It's like either it's going to work or it doesn't, and this is one of those that, for a lot of reasons, just ends up not really working or at least not aging well. So yeah, yeah, like most of those '80s raunchy films, they don't, they do not age well, and I think they're yeah. not beloved, but they're well liked. I think they're people like them. And as long as you can acknowledge the problems with them, I don't know. Yeah, that's uh, well, that's where we're at. And one thing you got to you got to remember too that this is you know this is the movie that that Robert Zemeckis really cut his teeth on. Yeah. And if it weren't for this, like I'm sure, just creatively and like learning the process and learning how to deal with a big crew and 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 act you know major actors that you know that kind of carved the way for. Uh, you know, you know, cleared. Sorry, cleared a path for him to make *Romancing the Stone* yeah. and *Back to the Future*. And it's like, all right, this is where he's gonna kind of do some crazy stuff. You know, throw everything against the wall and see what sticks and what doesn't. And maybe in this one it doesn't stick, but I, I know what to do for the next one. So yeah, uh, the, I think that's the ultimate arc of this movie. Of like, you know, the uh, as far as its impact on in Hollywood. Yeah, this without this movie, you don't get you don't get Back to the Future and Romancing the Stone and even Roger Rabbit. I think like you, like Zemeckis. Like the thing is, like there's a what like a what is it like a twelve minute like car chase kind of sequence. Like yeah, like I mean, yeah. and it looked great. Like they did a, a, from a production standpoint. It's a complicated, long like. A lot of cars, a lot of drivers, stunt work, yep. um, and it goes on and on. Like the 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 in the climax of the movie where they have to get 250 cars back to the car lot 
to they have to, to get a mile judge. a mile's worth of cars a miles right? worth, yeah a mile's worth of cars and it goes on and on and I'm I'm watching it and as I say about Back to the Future and I've said this to you I may have said it on the show it's like when you're watching the climax of Back to the Future and he's got to drive and get to the get to the wire at the exact time the lightning is going to strike every time I watch it I don't know if they're if he, Marty's going to go back like I just don't know because yeah. the thrill is there it's so many things are are obstacles. Things get in the way, and he builds all these things to to make things seem more and more impossible. Uh, even before the actual climax, where he has to, you know, he gets locked in the trunk. He's got to run. Da 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 da. Um, this is like Zemeckis, like cutting his teeth on that. It's really it's a lot of fun, like to see that um, that what he ends up doing later, and all these action sort of like climactic moments in his other films it's uh it's a lot of fun uh yeah there's there's i mean even the opening shot i mean i when i was watching that i was like wow this is very back to the future it's like the same kind of long slow um you know look through the used car lot and then down into this car where kurt russell is is rewinding the odometer (laughs) yeah it's so perfect (laughs) it, it it really mirrored the opening of Back to the Future of like going across the clocks and Doc's, you know, lab basically, right? That was Doc's lab or one of his labs. I think it's his main lab. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, um, where he lived. So yeah, you could see you could see parallels. Yeah, like for sure. Like, and that's such a great way to open a film where you just tell a story about like the world you're entering, and this mm-hmm. is all you need to know. Like, but. Um, but like make it a slow, like gradual pace. Like, you know, you're your viewer, you, the, the screen is blank and then suddenly you're in a film. So Zemeckis just takes you on a slow little journey. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to squirt you in here. Here's what's going on. Like, and it's, there's a, there's enough going on here that you can kind of get a sense of things and then you're grounded into that reality. Um, it, yeah. it totally works. A uh, lot of fun. Yeah. You can see. You can see everything like you can get the vibe of what's going on here and it just in that opening shot. So, yeah, that was really well done. I, I like that move. And then, you you know, you kind of follow Kurt as he um, is kind of <laughs> jerry rigging these cars to so they're literally not falling apart. <laughs> yeah. He's using gum to hold the bumper on, you know, like, he, yeah. Uh, and like the he's putting signs over broken windows. I mean, it looks really like it's, it's so cartoonish in the beginning where he's just trying to sell these cars to people or you're setting up like what, but this car lot looks like rather. And then it's, it's so ridiculous. Like no one would ever reasonably buy any of these cars. So there's so much going on with that. Like this is a cartoon. This is crazy. This is not real, but it's an exaggeration of how we see sleazy salesmen, how we see, people who want to be politicians you know slight like politicians mm-hmm. are salesmen salesmen are garbage <laughs> like it's the, it's the like there's actually they're trying to say something here a little bit you know uh, yeah at least that's how i saw it and um it's kind of neat like it's it's a, a little like silly little look into these uh that, that those personalities these people that would do whatever it takes to uh take a dollar from you mm-hmm yeah and then quickly we see um, we you know see a lot of faces coming through in that opening sequence. So we 
we see uh, Alfonso Arau, who's just got a small role in this, but would uh, have a bigger role in Romancing the Stone. And yeah. then, of course, Three Amigos is, I think, his uh, his personal stamp in the business. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, and he's what? He's delivering. He's the guy who, like, delivers cars to uh, to their dealership and usually, like, freshly painted or, you know, it's like he's used water-based paints. So if a car gets wet, you start to see what the whatever it was he painted over. Yeah. I mean, so it's, like, clearly, like, it's shady business dealings uh, taking these yeah. cars from where they don't belong. Um, you know, it establishes very early on they think these are the kind of people that, that uh, Rudy deals with. Um, and it sets up the climax. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we see, you know, we see, we mentioned Jack Warden, who, and apparently it was his idea to play both roles. So, oh, he wanted, they both? wanted, they really, mu- yeah, yeah, they, um, they wanted a veteran actor, uh, in that role. And they approached Jack and, and he pitched back to them, like, the only way I'll do it, well, cause he had said no originally. And then he came back and said, the only way I'll do it is if I get to play both of those roles. And, uh, <laughs> You know, so that's why they they made sure to make him look different in each of them. Yeah, and, uh, very effective. <laughs> yeah, the uh, we see Garrett Graham, who we mentioned, who was I think just coming off of a movie called Phantom of the Paradise. Hmm, that could be right. Have you? Uh, I believe that's a De Palma movie. Uh, that movie, it's like it's a musical version of, of Phantom of the Opera, basically. Mm-hmm. But it's just it's another like insane movie. Very heavy makeup on him. Um, I I always liked Garrett Graham's his face. Yeah, <laughs> I thought he had a distinguished look that um, was unfortunate that like he never really I feel like he never really went anywhere, mm-hmm. but certainly had the talent to do so. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's the thing. He he really does very well uh, in this movie, as far as I was concerned. I, I didn't, you know, seeing him in that, I th- it's like he had to carry a lot throughout it and being yeah. funny. I And yeah, it's, a, it's like he I feel like he should have been bigger than he ever was. Yeah, he um, and there's certain scene. There's a scene where he's like echoing everything. His character is echoing whatever uh, Rudy's saying. Yeah, and that just like Jack Warden kind of bites back at him in the scene, and they actually kept it in the movie. He said like, "What are you a fucking parrot?" Um, and that was just improv. <laughs> but uh, Jack was, you know, didn't agree with some of Garrett's uh, acting choices. That was like kind of trying to take too much of the spotlight and not just trying to do the scene. Okay. So a little bit of tensions there, but I think it was like the veteran kind of teaching the, the younger actor kind of how to do it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. What the right way of doing it is. So, well, you know, I mean, um, there's always going to be that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frank McRae, who we mentioned, uh, Frank McRae is more well known for being the, I think he played like the police chief, you know, the, 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 whatever, the, the head of the precinct. Yeah. Like in every cop movie in the 80s. Yeah. I mean, he was 48 hours and was it Loaded Weapon 1 yeah. and a bunch of other movies. He so. did it and he like did it in uh, Last Action Hero where he's just screaming at Schwarzenegger's character the whole time, like just yeah. over the top, just screaming the whole time. Yeah, like just like and really leaning into that kind of role. Like, yeah, that's his. Uh, yeah, 
uh, and he's funny in this too. I wish I, I wish there was more for him, but he and but what he did was was great. Like the, them as a trio, uh, Kurt, Jack, and uh, Frank. They were there. I don't know, or not Gar- not Jack. Sorry, Kurt, Garrett, and Frank. A lot of fun together. I don't know. Yeah. I like that. And and Frank, you know, I love Frank in in other movies too, like Rocky and uh, yeah, uh, the opening scene of Red Dawn, very memorable for me. Oh right, sure, Red Dawn. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the you know the main cast that we see in the opening of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then we're, we see a lot of other faces, some familiar faces coming popping in and out in small roles throughout the movie. Uh, Michael Talbot, who is from Miami Vice, who plays the the, the driver, who kind of like gets they, they hire him to basically kill Jack Warden's character yeah. or one of Jack Warden's characters yeah. Yeah. in this crazy like stunt driving sequence. Yeah, <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, the whole that that whole sequence is insane. Like he, he purposely like tries to murder this guy, and then uh, just the all the all the uh, traffic. Uh, accidents that he was like causing and everything and then having to like flip the car back into the lot like he purposely does it like like they're not gonna die <laughs> I, I just love that it's so over the top and crazy i love that yeah and it was and that sequence in particular has some very dangerous but really cool looking stunts uh yeah. by uh, terry leonard who are just you know getting the Anytime you can do car flips like that and get it to land where it's supposed to, even though apparently he did miss the mark a little bit, but it looked great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I didn't expect it like where he just jacks the wheel and they just show it flipping end over end. Like it's just fantastic. Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I thought that was really funny. Uh, Betty Thomas, who shows up as one of the strippers. Hmm. Uh, very surprising role to me. I think she was the script supervisor at the time, but this is before she's got her role on Hill Street Blues, and then oh. she would go on to be an established director uh, who did, what, the Brady Bunch movie, and, uh, God, she did a whole uh, Private Parts, the Howard Stern movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and a bunch of others. It's it's uh, was shocking <laughs> for me to see her as the... Uh, <laughs> As one of those strippers, it's insane. That whole mo, that whole sequence is insane in the movie. <laughs> that uh, just it, ter- it turns into just all these like uh, women on cars dancing and stripping for to sale cars, and like there's no you know uh, that raunch fest is so weird. Like there's such a weird like um, dissonance from like p- people being on like I don't know drawn to. The extreme, these women on cars, these these men who can't help themselves, but like they were, all these people were drawn from a family event across the street. So the idea yeah. is that everyone over on that one car lot where they're riding camels and playing games and stuff, they all run over to watch strippers. Like it's insane. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, and they're like they're like having them sign contracts like on girls' butts, and, and it's. <laughs> but I, I do want to say this is sort of like the elephant in the room for me. Like yeah. this stuff, this this particular sequence, and the the you know when they interrupt the football game to to cut in their commercial. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. those are like super offensive. Sure, super 
raunchy. You could not do that today, and they they look really bad. I mean, really bad. Yeah, it doesn't. Especially that's the scene with the um, uh, the scene with the with that commercial cut in with that girl with the girl who like is forcibly they strip her yeah and then the cameraman actually reaches out and like grabs her breast and it's yeah i was shocked watching him like that's kind of this feels very like rapish you know oh like, yeah it's she's screaming it, it's pure and, like, assault like it's there's no yeah there's no comedic value like as soon as as soon as it turned into that where it's like like there's one thing about like boobs and butts are funny and and it can be silly and whatever, but like as soon as it turns into like this perversion or just like grabbing and doing things like non consensual and all that, yeah, like it, the whole thing is ruined. Like one hundred percent, I am one hundred percent there because I did not. I was like disappointed that that happened. Where they're like, yeah, it's not like a quick it like un- ooh a, a quick shot of things, and it's like oh no, what happened? Blah, and then that's the end of the scene. That would actually make it work and be like a little more funny. But then as soon as it's like, well, we're just going to like focus on her. We're broadcasting that. We're going to show people grabbing her. It's a little, it's a little like disgusting. <laughs> well, it's disgusting. But yeah, it's, it's disgusting. It's, but it's hard it to was, like watch. Like it's, yeah. you know what I mean? It was, it was disgusting and disappointing yeah. and um, like unnecessary. Like it, you didn't even need to take it that far. Like, yeah. okay, they, they, I, I think a, a, a better impact would have been just like, you know, her dress got hooked in the trunk when he shut it, and and you know, then they, then you see her naked, and then that's the end of it. But they just push it so much further. Yeah. Even I mean, even that would is is wrong, but um, would get the point across better than just like taking it like ten steps too far. Yeah. No, it, it went to an extreme level. I'm not. I'm not happy with any of that for sure. Like, it's. If you can just if you if they could just edit that out to just like an ex you know uh, uh, some nudity it's like was oh accidentally exposed and then you cut that and like that's it like that's all you see um, yeah like at least you can just sort of make the joke of like oh, well it's just this like little silly thing and it's uh, mildly titillating but then when it gets into like this let's point a camera at her and like keep watching and she's screaming the whole time for like probably 30 40 seconds i don't even know and then grabbing her yeah yeah, it's it doesn't work it actually like ruins like the the thrust of the movie you know what i mean but um oh yeah absolutely it's one of those that like takes you out of it yeah which is the ultimate no-no uh and and obviously something i've talked about before that i really react to is like if if i if i start to think about that i'm watching a movie or watching actors act then you've lost me and uh yeah. if it weren't for kurt being kurt yeah. that might have happened here yeah 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 it's uh yeah it's unfortunate so uh you know it's like that revenge of the nerds you know um type of thing you know there's a sexual assault in that like it's like that that yeah. can't hold up like the whole the whole movie has to carry this anchor around it um, yep. for things that are, I don't know. Like, again, like I said, boobs and butts are funny. Like, as long as it's like a kind of a two-way street or whatever. But uh, Yeah, well, it's so one way. Like, I mean, I yeah. guess you see Garrett Graham's butt for a second. But well, that's not that's like, like for... but that's not titillating either. <laughs> like, no. Like, not that it no. should be, but it's just sort of like. 
it's not embarrassing for him. They just show a quick shot of, of him in the car, whatever. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 over-the-top exploitive at times with the strippers, with the the rapey moments. Um, that's unfortunate. Even um, even at the climax of the movie where Alfonso is, uh, Alfonso Rao is uh, giving him the cars, and then we haven't even talked about Deborah Harmon. Who's, no, we'll get there because uh, she doesn't show up to like an hour into the movie. Yeah, <laughs> this is a character who's talked about, but like she's there and like, and he just kind of grabs her, and she's just like, "Oh my god, oh no!" and like get, gets out of there. Like obviously she's not like the character is not in a good place, but like it's just, it's straight up assault, like just straight up like grabbing some grabbing her. Like, and, um, I know it's played for laughs, yeah. but I don't. I don't know if that was probably even that funny then. You know what I mean? I don't like. I think they're trying to show him as a degenerate. Like the idea is he's a degenerate. He's a criminal. He's a, a you know a bad dude, and like he's getting his kicks. But you know, watching it today is just sort of gross. Like just so like yeah. Ugh. Like there's nothing yeah, entertaining totally. about that. And it's just it's disappointing uh, to watch now. And you know it's just uh, but. Uh, you know, other than those assaults, <laughs> there's lots of fun stuff here. Yeah, well, you know, before before we get to that, I just want to say the other the other scene that kind of like disturbed me a little bit, although you know, not as much as that stuff, was uh, Jack Warden's death. Spoiler alert! <laughs> yeah, um, like that was like a long, drawn out torture scene, really. Like, and I I just feel like. I felt so sad that this guy's death is like prolonged into minutes and minutes, and yeah, and it was basically intentional. I mean, that was murder. Yeah, the guy literally killed him. <laughs> he he wanted to, and he went there with the purpose of doing that. Yeah. So yeah, um, so there's some dark but in stuff. that scene. Yeah, yeah, we see uh, Andrew Donovan who is like negotiating a deal with with uh, Rudy inside the office while while Jack Warden's character is being you know taken on that car ride to hell. Uh, but that guy, we actually saw him as the uh, announcer in Slapshot, which was uh, back in yes uh, back in year one, which you can listen to that episode in the archives www.reconsidimation.com. That's true. Uh... Yes. Well, the, the, and I think part of this comes down to the, if you, it comes down to editing, like, you know, where the brevity is, is helpful to make things funnier. So, I mean, yeah, the, the long drawn out, like car sequence where, uh, uh, what's his face? Roy is getting, or, or is it Luke? Wait, which one's which? <laughs> is it, which Luke? Uh... Which Luke. Luke. Luke Luke is the one at uh, Kurt Russell's dealership. So, yeah, Luke is going through this heart attack while he's in the car, makes it into the, the office and all that. And he's just sort of, like, groaning and, and, and like, struggling to, to, to cling to life. You know, and Kurt's there, like, banging on his chest, you know, kind of CPR. Yeah, like, like, pounding on his chest. Yeah, like, it is. it is. It's a little much. Like, you, you, you know... Characters can die on screen, and it can be really funny, but, like, you draw it out, you make it, like, a little more, I don't know, a little more intense. It's not yeah. as funny as, like, you intended, I think. Like the, I think that, yeah. that's where a good editor would come in and, like, really make this, like, really f- make it funnier, I guess. 
A um, lot of other, you know, brief roles by some some name actors. Uh, Dub Taylor, who shows up towards the end of the movie, uh, who makes a deal with Kurt in the what limousine. Uh, Dub Taylor's an old time actor who was in uh, a lot of westerns, a lot of Sam Peckinpah stuff, but um, and I think he had done a lot of movies with Kurt Russell's dad. Uh, Al Lewis, who plays the judge, he was in uh, oh, yeah. uh, the Monsters. Yeah. He was uh, what's his name? Why did I just blank on his name? But um, he was Uncle F- Uncle, un- not Fester. That was the bald guy. <laughs> but he was but, an uncle, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he was just Grandpa. Uh, he was just Grandpa. Oh, Grandpa, Grandpa, not yeah, Uncle. Yeah, but like, so. but I re- and uh, did you ever watch Car Fifty Four? Where are you on Nick at Night? Which I've I've sung yes, the praises of. Course. of. I like see like I only knew him from Monsters reruns. Then I saw him on Car Fifty Four reruns <laughs> on Nick at Night. I'm like, oh, he was not. He was more than just this guy. Obviously, he has a, a long yeah. career, a big career. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's cool to see him in this. Like <laughs> this judge who's like measuring cars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we talked about Michael McKeon and David Lander, who, you know, were, I think, still on uh, Happy Days at this time. Well, no, they were Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, Laverne and Shirley. That's their... So they were, uh, yeah, they were still on that. So this is kind of uh, not a nod to that, but uh, they were, you know, established uh, TV performers at this time. Yeah, they're sort of seen as like a duo. Like, they, I don't I don't think it's coincidence that the two of them are in it together playing this duo. Um, no. I, no, not at all. I get the sense that, like, I think I feel like there's a lot more on the cutting room floor for this movie. Like, there's things that. Oh yeah, there has to be. There has to, has be. to be. Like, like a step, like things they shot that just you know just make the movie longer, that don't work. I mean, it's you know you know what's crazy? Like Dick Miller is in this movie. Yes, Dick. <laughs> that's and I, I recognize him immediately. I recognize him immediately, and and he has a wordless part. Where he's just in bed with a girl watching the television, and uh, and then they cut to him twice, and then that was it. But you have to imagine he had a, like a scene, <laughs> I think, right? Like it doesn't make sense that he's well, in there, this movie. You would think that a lot of these guys who have you know one or two scenes at most, um, that there's something else there that. Uh, and I think again because of this movie is so wild that there there was probably a lot of scenes that got dropped and yeah. trimmed and um, so it'd be interesting to see what those you know I, I watched the Blu-ray of this and there wasn't any you know deleted scenes on it but I'm curious to see what they would be yeah huh yeah but like you know Dick Miller who we talked about uh, from Gremlins and and countless other movies like shows up he's just in bed with with a woman and then reacting to the television they cut back and forth to some action and cut back to him like getting up and reacting but like there had to been a scene where he's just saying something and like even if it's like a five second scene where he's just saying something they just cut it like it's not there Mm -hmm. um and there are moments like that and throughout this movie like that's the funny thing about like this like sort of uh these like raunchy like 80s movies or whatever where there's always like ancillary characters doing or saying and reacting to something that they yeah every like they get they just get a little like close up to shine and then it's over um and then you got to yeah. feel like they probably shot a lot of those kinds of things and then like yeah you know, i would imagine you know, yeah i don't know that's what that's what it feels like um i mean and listen we had the uh 
we had Wendy Jo Sperber and Mark McClure both in this movie. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love that. Like, both of Marty McFly's <laughs> siblings are in this film yeah. driving cars in the <laughs> in the climax of the film. That's fantastic. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it Mark McClure's car that he's sort of riding at the end? Kurt Russell's sort of riding and Deborah Harmon? Uh, oh, I think that's right. Yeah, like he's... The, yeah, or, like their truck that they're riding in the back of. Wait, is he the... Oh, I think that's right. Yeah, I, I might might be wrong about that. I don't know. Yeah, they're definitely no, wait. in. It and... I feel like he. Uh, no, I feel like they're both in separate separate cars. That, yeah, no. Um, let's talk about Deborah Harmon real quick. So sure. she shows up, you know, about an hour into the movie, and she is uh, Luke Fuchs's daughter, yeah. who is you know coming back into the picture, and 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 then becomes the love interest for Rudy. Yeah. Uh, you know, another actress who you've seen a million times, mostly in just the ten of us. Yeah, I mean that's that's where I knew her and fell in love with her was in the yeah. Growing Pain spinoff in the mid '80s, just the ten of us. And she's so likable. Oh, that, like God, so charming. It's like, like, what are you doing with all these jackasses? <laughs> yeah, like, why are you even bothering? <laughs> yeah. But you know she fell for the Kurt Russell charm, so which we all do as well. We all so. do. We all deal with this. That's that's true. I've fallen for it in person several times. <laughs> Awkward pause and. <laughs> but she's uh, yeah, but like she's mentioned as a character. She she happens to call Luke uh, on the the day he dies, and then you know Kurt has to deceive her the entire time, like. You know, Kurt was there when he died. I mean, the thing is, like, there's such a darkness to this. Like, they like they bury Fuchs uh, in the ground, hoping hoping no one will find him. Like, yeah, that's kind of crazy, right? <laughs> like, that's like the there's that's so insane. many weird conceits to like them like trying to do stuff that looking at it today, you're like, geez, this isn't this isn't you can't do this. This is too this is too insane. Like, you're gonna go to jail. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. things were easier back then. I think to digest in terms of concept. <laughs> I don't know. Or you just—they just did it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It was the eighties. It was the eighties. Um. But she yeah, was. In, let's talk about the. She was also like, in, Oh, go ahead. She was also in Bachelor Party. I think. I think she showed up in that. She but. was in Bachelor Party. It doesn't. She have a small role as like a newscaster in Back to the Future. Oh, was she, oh, was she one of the ones? That, maybe is that right? I think she. I thought I saw she that. She was. Um, I, I. Yeah. You're right. She wasn't credited, but she was on the. Yeah, she was a, uh, a the newscaster on, in Back to the Future. And she would, you know, she'd be in lots of commercials, and and mostly I remember her in TV, you know, TV shows popping up. Yeah. Kind of all over the place. So. Yeah, a lot of lot of TV um, work before I think she kind of retired in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, but uh, really like her performance in the movie. Um, the uh, let's talk about the stunts because these stunts are fucking crazy. Yeah, to me. yeah, lots there going on here. So, and <clears throat> and it's like the real actors are doing some of this. Like when Jack Warden's uh, as Roy like comes tearing into the dealership and drives right into the entrance of the um, of uh, oh yeah of Kurt Russell's uh, dealership. Yeah. Garrett Graham is standing on the 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 um porch there and 
that car hits right where he's standing and he drops onto the like kind of crashes onto the hood of the car yeah and that's really him and that was like you know i think i think there was some out of control stunt stuff happening on this movie the whole end sequence when they're like you know kurt russell is like riding on top of a car and it's it like they must have done a really great job of hiding that wire rig that he must have been connected to yeah or i don't know you know it looked crazy yeah there was a lot of stuff yeah i actually that that exact thing um about uh, uh, Jack Gordon driving into the porch or whatever. Like I, I rewound that, watched that a couple of times. So when Garrett has to like fall onto the hood, I was yeah. like, Jesus! Like that looks like that looks so dangerous. <laughs> Just so if that went yeah, wrong, you wouldn't do that. Okay. You could not do that today. No, I mean they were shooting like when, when Garrett Graham is shooting uh, some of the cars up with shot with a shotgun. Yeah, those apparently were real bullets like there was a real shotgun with real rounds live rounds like never you could not do any of this stuff today no not at all no way (laughs) even the like the like when they sell uh when they do that scam of the the fam like family who's taking the uh station wagon and and running over the the dog (laughs) yeah which you know they didn't actually do but like when they drive away and they everyone keeps hitting that one pothole uh-huh. and like the two the two, kids, the fall, kids out. fall out of the back of the car yeah. like real kids falling out of the back of a real moving vehicle yeah could not do it today yeah I mean like they put them in full like football gear like okay you'll be safe enough like you're gonna hit the ground but like yeah it was like two kids like just fall into the mud like. I was blown away. Like, wow. Like you would never see that. Cause the kids get up, they don't cut the kids get up and run after the car. So you're like, no, that's actually like children, <laughs> like 13 year old kids or whatever, like running out, yeah. like, getting knocked out of a car. It's insane. Yeah. Like, um, it's crazy. Hollywood was, uh, uh just, uh, the wild west was maintained. I think throughout. <laughs> oh, how fun. <laughs> Um, the, you know, in looking back at it, like I thought of a few (laughs) adjectives that I, I'd use to describe this movie. And, and after I wrote them down, I was like, you know what? Kind of like, like national lampoons. I feel like they would have used all of these to, uh, promote the movie and push it as like, you've got to see it, you know, you gotta see it. Here's here. Here's just a few words that I thought of misogynistic. Mean-spirited, gratuitous, sexist, offensive, undisciplined, manic. Um, You know, the movie is, you know, we talked about earlier how it's in the same vein as your Animal Houses and your Stripes and, and Revenge of the Nerds, but it's just, you know, just takes it like a little too far. And I think the length has a lot to do with that. Um, You trim... 15 minutes out of this movie and you're not holding on that holding on the raunchiness and holding on that stuff quite so long i think that's that's probably one of the biggest problems editorially that this movie has right so would so would you like this movie more if you were less bored by it like if i was less what if you were less bored by it um well i wouldn't say i was bored well like the I length just, of I it felt is... the 
is unknown. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I might. Yeah, I might. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I like, I think that that's the thing about Animal House is that, like, you know, it's certainly as raunchy, but it doesn't. It just moves out of that and it gets you to the next scene. Like, you're not holding there, sitting there, thinking about it because you're already on on something else. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It, it, yeah, I mean Animal House is almost as long as this movie, I think, but probably again is more simplistic in its storytelling. Again, like Used Cars has a lot going on, a lot of different conflicts, a lot of different things that have to happen. Animal House is almost like well, a non-story. Like it's but there's Animal nothing, House, I there's mean, nothing it's... going on there. There's like one conflict. Like that's it. Like. Well, that's okay. true, but they're all it's all character pieces. So you, you move from char- you have so many characters in Animal House that you're going from you know, whatever the, you know, subplot is with those characters, but you're you're moving constantly. Whereas here it's like you have, you know, five characters and you're you're and they're most of them are together. So Right, right, right. There's not that many arcs to be had. Yeah, no, I know. I think they're trying to I think they were trying to force a lot of things that to help propel the story forward. But I think, you know, this is early filmmaker, you know, kind of, uh, yeah, getting their, totally. getting their feet wet, you know, like understanding, like, yeah, how absolutely. To be cons- um, like what do you have to do to realize like, well, maybe I got to be a little more concise or a little more, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, economic. Yeah. About the, the, the stuff. To me, it feels like, it, it feels like a college film with like guys, you know, uh, it's very much a guy film with guys being guys. And like, <laughs> this is their college movie where they could do what they want and get it kind of all their testosterone out of their system. Yeah. And, you know, and, and maybe that worked for Zemeckis. Cause like he did that and he never again made a movie like this. Yeah. No, this is, this is, this is the end of that. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no kind of female perspective on this movie or point of view or, you know, other than like, you know, he kind of treats Deborah Harmon with some kind of respect as a character, but you know, all his movies after that, he was, you know, completely, um, you know, the, the females had a big role and an important part of the story. Right. Yeah. 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 The, the female characters, uh, are ancillary to everything on this one. So another interesting, you know, part about this movie is, is what happened after the movie was made and it's released. So it ended up testing one of the highest rated, you know, test audiences. I think of all time, like this was loved by test audiences. So, uh, it was supposed to come out in, I think, November 1980, and it tested so highly that they pulled it up all the way up to, what did we say, it was July, um, where was it, the July uh, 18th, 1980, Yeah. which is, if you know anything about your, your film history, uh, one week after Airplane was released. <laughs> right, yes. Which, in that one move, they killed the movie essentially yeah i mean you can't you can't have um, a worse you can't have a worse competition than like a zemeckis brothers movie yeah at that point. well well they're you know the, i think their their thought was to try and you know capitalize on the the momentum and the popularity of airplane which was a huge movie an iconic comedy uh that that has lasted for 
decades and decades and is still hilarious today. Yeah. Um, this movie's trying to slide in and ride that wave, and people were like, pump the brakes <laughs> real hard. Like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 this is not... This is not airplane. Yeah. So very different, <laughs> very different uh, mentality. I that. mean, this like this was on the level of Smokey and the Bandit with how well liked the movie was with test audiences. So oh. um, God, <laughs> uh, they just, you know, couldn't really compete. And then it became the opposite of studios were afraid to release. I don't know how many more comedies actually came out in the second half of 1980 because you know, partially because this movie bombed so badly that people were like they didn't about face, and then they were afraid to put any comedies up because of uh, because of Airplane. Yeah, but th- I feel like this would have been a movie that would have worked better in the fall and winter season. Like, there's mm-hmm. you know, I, Test Audience loved it because there's a lot to like about it. I think there's a lot of funny jokes. I think there's a lot of like fun stuff about it that. Like makes sense uh, for the audiences at the time, and for me, I was laughing out loud, LOL, uh, when I was watching it. You were LOL. I was LOLing. Um, um, hashtag LOL at uh, <laughs> David Munchak. <laughs> I, I mean, I there was a lot of funny bits that were like a little funny. Again, the movie's very long, and and I think there's there's too much space and breathing room, and uh, sexual assaults, but. Uh, Lots of things that yeah, are just funny. those. Just them. I feel like this could have been something like released in the fall. Uh, college and college students would be going to the mm-hmm. movies every weekend. People would be going to see it. Yeah, summers. It's summers tough. Everyone's got a lot to do. You know. Um, well, I, I mean, if they had given it some breathing room between airplane and this, yeah. you know, say they put it out, even if they pulled it up to September. Yeah. That's two months later. You know that that uh, if you chop. 20 minutes out of this movie you pull that release date to september instead of july and you you know kind of watch the the sexual assault stuff this movie would have been uh i think much better received had a much better you know even now like it doesn't really have that great of a uh cult status i mean it has a cult status but it it hasn't like grown over time like a spinal tap or a Evil Dead, um, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the what makes a cult movie great is that new generations find it, new audiences find it. So every ten years, a new set of teens and whatever find these movies and enjoy them and 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 sort of take it in. Used Cars is not going to be one of those. It becomes less relatable as time goes on. And again, like we said, like it's none of these characters are redeemable like they're all they're not right. they're not the slobs versus the snobs of like your vacations and your revenge of the nerds kind of things like where at least you want to root for somebody um you're rooting for kurt because only because we're supposed to you know but he's also a terrible guy like there's just something well, even there's something amiss about you know his character a- another movie we didn't mention that that like has this same, a very similar kind of thing going on, but the characters redeem themselves and do something good is Police Academy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, the whole yeah. the whole ending sequence, it's like they're fighting off rioters and, like, doing something for the good of society and kind of redeem themselves that way. Yeah. Whereas this movie just doesn't have it. Everything is kind of self-absorbed and, and self-oriented. Yeah. So. 
uh, works against it. But um, but you can uh, yeah. So it, it go ahead. No, I was gonna say, but you can see in like used cars, like the pieces of what makes a thrilling, exciting, funny. Uh, approachable, uh, accessible movie like used cars has like little bits of all of that. Like the the, the through mm-hmm. lines to like m- like mass audiences could come toward. Like used cars had to happen, but so we can have the other Zemeckis movies and beyond. I think like um, yeah, it, it's a nice experimentation, and it you know it's one of those things that had to happen uh, in a major studio release, um, which didn't go as wide as other movies of, of of that summer and um, yeah so i mean it didn't benefit from being everywhere all at once um and certainly you know just again just timing is everything a lot of times so yeah totally but yeah go ahead uh it it ended up doing a uh, 11.7 uh million domestic run yeah. i'm not totally sure what the budget was but uh uh, there's no way this movie made money. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the budget was it, $120 million. <laughs> Comparable to like, uh, you know, Captain America, Winter Soldier, probably somewhere <laughs> yeah. on that level. I think it's the same exact budget. Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Yeah. Well, they copied it for Captain America. So. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, I've got it as number 58 of 1980. So that's way down there. Uh, it falls right between The Changeling, which is a George C. Scott horror movie, and Hangar 18, which is a movie I've never heard of. Wow. So, I don't know. Okay. What? <laughs> way down there on the list. Okay. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I think this, this was a learning experience for everybody involved. Um, it sounded like... I listened to the uh, audio commentary on the DVD, and it sounds like they had a hell of a fun time making the movie. I'm sure. Ninety uh, percent of that audio commentary is Kurt Russell laughing hysterically, <laughs> which I enjoy. Yeah. If Kurt's happy, then that's what matters. He's but, just uh, loving everything he's seeing uh, on screen. I love that. Yeah, and it's very, very much bros talking and reminiscing. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, I think you know they would all. Each of them would capitalize this. I think Kurt was able to use this to kind of get his leading man status under his belt, and then yeah. the next movie he'd make is Escape from New York, and then, and then his career was kind of off and running. Yeah, I mean, uh, this was the launching the launching pad for him. This is him, no, this is him yeah. in the warm up box. The warm, yeah, the warm- he's the in the on deck circle. On deck it's, circle, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's what I wanted to say. Not the warm-up box. Yeah. That's not a thing. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, I was I was glad I finally saw it, and um, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna watch it again, but uh, I'm I'm looking forward to as we continue our show over the next forty-seven years, um, looking at uh, another Kurt Russell movie every year and working our way from the. His younger, you know, stuff in his younger days to to current things. So of course, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, and I mean, like, listen, I I hope we can reinvigorate the uh, what is a Christmas movie discussion. Is used cars a Christmas movie? I think so, but we'll get to it next holiday season uh, mm-hmm. because you know that is the question we need to always address every time we talk about a movie that we enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a Christmas movie? Most likely, <laughs> yes. Most of them are. <laughs> Most movies are Christmas. Movies. Um, 
Did did uh, am I correct? And did I hear that or read that Christmas Chronicles is Kurt's most successful movie financially to date? Christmas Chronicles was a Netflix movie. I don't know if you can put a dollar amount on that. I don't know. Uh... They they're they've claimed that it uh, was the financially one of their most successful and one of his most successful. But I, I doubt you could beat Guardians too, technically. But. Um... You know. Yeah, I mean, it's not the it's star, but I mean, I mean, I'm sure in viewership and whatever they can. Listen, Netflix is very cagey about their numbers. I'm not gonna. They're making Christmas yeah. Chronicles too, so get ready. So. <laughs> yeah, well, and either way, you know that used cars was not up there in the top ten for Kurt. No, not uh, of his of his apparently 95 uh, on screen performances. This was not in the top ten. Not in the top ten, and for money <laughs> or for uh, likability, but charming, and he learned a lot and springboarded it. So, yeah, uh, it is a very uh, important movie in the in the grand scheme of his career. Okay, so, yeah. Uh, but you know, and, and on that note, we do. We just want to say. Ha- early happy birthday to you, happy. Kurt. We're, we're uh, sure we're the first people to say it. Uh, so when you stop by the studio tonight for your party, uh, we're going to have a great time. Everybody's here. Absolutely. All the co-stars from all the movies. Garrett Graham's here. Uh, Mel Gibson's here. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. You've got, um, you know, everybody from Stallone to... To uh, Carpenter, they're all coming by tonight, so it's gonna it's gonna be a good time. We will have to uh, tell all of you about it another time. Yeah, that's that's reserved for another time at Recon Cinema Studios. Yeah. Absolutely, Recon Cinema. As long as we have Kurt's dark. permission to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, so. no, we got to get him to sign off. If he doesn't sign, you're not gonna hear about it. So mm-hmm. that's it, guys. I mean, don't stop demanding yeah. all the hot goss. <laughs> we can't give it to you. <laughs> The hot Kurt Goss. The hot Kurt Goss. And in Kurt's birthday <laughs> munch. Kurt, wait, birthday month? And then I was going to say Kurt. <laughs> You're the munch. I'm munch. It's the month. I was going to say Kurch. Yeah. I was going to say Kurch because it's March, <laughs> but it's also Kurt. Uh, and that doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. It's the birthday Kurch. <laughs> yeah. But uh, happy birthday, Kurt. We're, we're, we're always happy to celebrate, and we'll have to figure out what's what's next. Yeah. Since we did escape from New York, yeah. we have to see what's uh, the follow-up after I'm that. I'm hoping so, an executive um, decision, but we'll see. Oh, we're going to get there for <laughs> sure. There's much to talk we about should, on that one. We should just do all the movies where Kurt wears glasses. Because <laughs> there's a few of those. <laughs> we can do that. He has had so many different looks. I mean, he's just great. Yeah, we celebrate him every day. Every he's day. our Lord and Savior. He's the King. Um, we love him. <laughs> he wears glasses in Vanilla Sky. Wears glasses in Big Trouble in Little China for a minute. That's good fun. He's, he's got decision. a patch in Captain Ron. Captain Ron, Escape doesn't from, he? Patch? I think so. Well, of course, from Escape from New York and Escape from LA, he's got a yeah. patch. I mean, look at yeah. this guy. He's uh, he does it all. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap things up because we got to get ready for Kurt's party. Yeah. So um, it, you know, it takes a couple of weeks to pull that together. But uh, thank you to uh, as always our friends Ek Wimmer uh, for the theme song, and I've been catching up on some of his episodes of Laser Graves, Absolutely. which you can check out. Uh, r- such strange movies and uh, great 
bad movies that he's covering on that show. <laughs> and, you know, when you've got a killer workout and, and you can break that down for an hour and a half, it's uh, that's something special. So check that podcast out. It's Laser Graves, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, thank you to Curtis uh, again for the poster like he does every week. Lovely, lovely. And guys, give us just stop what you're doing for 25 seconds. Go to uh, iTunes if you can still do that. I think you can. And give us a, a five-star rating and a review. It, it's uh, really important for the show and gives, gives us a boost. So, yeah. And, uh, and oh, yeah, and check out our social media. We're always trying to keep something going on there. Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter, Reconsinimation Podcast. Yeah, listen, find us on the socials. We're on the Twitter. Come on. Come come hang out with us. What's up? And you, you're always invited. The door's always open, not to the studio itself, yeah. but to www.reconsinimation.com, where you can download any of our episodes in our archives. So many good ones. Uh, Footloose. Tremors, you know, we always talk about Kevin Bacon as Bacon, well. Sure. Um, five Easy Pieces, At Close Range, Predator, they're all there. Wow. So they're all and they're going to keep coming your way. Yeah, every, yep. every, everything we've ever done, it's there. It's waiting for you. <laughs> we want you. And we've got we're going to be we're going to be back soon because our next episode, I won't give a spoiler here, but it's going to be very special and we'll have a returning guest with us. Okay. So stay tuned for that. Great. Yeah, but way to tease it. I love it. That's great. All right. Uh, I see Goldie and Oliver and Kate pulling up. So that means uh, we got to get going. We have some planning to do. So uh, I'm going to step out. I'm going to step out. David, you wrap it up. Bye now. <laughs>